You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. And you all, I can still remember where I was standing in that room as they were scanning my wife's belly and the technician looked up with his huge smile and said, I see two heads. (laughs) And I remember thinking, then why are you smiling if the baby has two heads? Like, <laughs> like if I don't connect myself strongly to that, that I have a lot of need, I don't have a need for a big savior. My kids can't get to the good stuff of hope. They can't build character unless they first stopped off at the suffering, the struggle that builds perseverance, that gives way to character, that then anchors them to hope. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm joined as usual by our resident expert emotional experiencer, my (laughs) co-host, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? Well, I do experience a lot of emotions, and today I would say I'm doing exuberant. Let's stick with Uh, the ease. You're doing exuberant. That sounds great. Exuberantly. I'm doing exuberantly. (laughs) I'm not great at language. I'm good at emotions. (laughs) Yeah, you're great at emotions. It actually makes me feel very anxious when I'm put on the spot on a microphone. (laughs) Uh, And of course, the woman who's raising my boys, my wife, Mrs. Chelsea Griffin. Chelsea, how are you doing? On top of the world, you know. Like usual. Just the usual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a privilege. What a distinct honor. What a treat to have on today's episode, the King of Counselors, an authoritative author, a proficient parent, a licensed master social worker and a phenomenal podcaster, Mr. David Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. David Woo! Thomas on the episode. David, how are you doing today? I am so grateful to be with you all. And I can tell you just don't have any fun being together. That's obvious. <laughs> it's best they if actually, we're only digitally together, you know? As I say, they don't allow us in the same room. So we have to, <laughs> If and we even had to leave churches. We're in separate churches because we were having too much fun at the same church. Just so. too much in one space. Chelsea and I actually stayed at the same church. Yeah, we feel like it's better for our marriage. That's um, true. And you're yeah. in the same room often. It's the yes. three of us. <laughs> well, David, I... Uh, read your book a couple weeks ago. And let me just tell you, there was, uh, first I was a little offended because I assumed that most of it was based on very close proximity to my family. It was so incredibly accurate <laughs> that I could only assume that you could write it by having seen the struggles that we go through as parents. So uh, thank you, but you didn't have my permission, but it, it was at the same time, gosh, David, so, so good. Chelsea and I were reading through some of my favorite highlights last night and have been so blessed by this book. It's incredible. Thank you for writing it. You are incredibly kind to say that. It, it is. It was a great privilege to get to write this, and and I mean it, you all. It's it's a genuine honor to get to spend time talking with you all about it today. So thank you for that feedback. Well, for those of you who are listening but don't know David, David, I, I can do. You know, I can tell him the stats. I can tell him whatever. But would you tell us maybe just a little bit about your family, your ministry, what you're up to there in Nashville? I'd love to. I am. First and foremost, uh, a proud son, husband, and father. I have three young adult children. We have kind of an interesting story in that my firstborn is a girl, and about a year into her life, we got pregnant for the second time. We were incredibly grateful, went midway through the pregnancy, as you do for the ultrasound, walked in the room and said to the technician, okay, we're really old school we didn't know my daughter was a girl till the day she was born. So don't tell us what we're having. We want to be surprised. 
And you all, I can still remember where I was standing in that room as they were scanning my wife's belly and the technician looked up with his huge smile and said, I see two heads. <laughs> and I remember thinking, then why are you smiling if the baby has two heads? <laughs> like, nothing about that sounded or felt right to me. And we were genuinely that shocked. We have no history of multiples. My wife had not gained extra weight. Her counts weren't different. None of the indicators that you get when you're carrying multiples were there for us. So here we are in that room finding this out midway through and that multiples always come early. So I said, all right, well, clearly we're so behind at this point. I'm going to lay down next to my wife in this bed, and then you tell us what we're having. And she <laughs> said, two boys. Wow. We're still recovering from that news 20 <laughs> years later. So I have daughter, twin sons who are just some of my favorite humans on the planet. And in addition to the amazing kids in my home who I've learned so much from, I have had the great privilege for 25 years now wow. to sit with kids, adolescents, and, and their families in my work as a therapist at this amazing place in Nashville called Daystar Counseling. And we do the work a little different in that we're in a house rather than an office building, which was a very intentional decision for us. And the most sought after therapists in our practice are actually five therapy dogs. We're While all the humans are very aware, we're low in the pecking <laughs> order, very low in the pecking order. We're no one's favorite. And even that was uh, an intentional decision because if anyone listening has ever taken a kid you love to counseling or if you've ever gone yourself, you know it can be an overwhelming experience. So we try to do as much as we can to help kids feel safe and comfortable when they come. So I love that place. I love the people I get to work with, the humans and the canines, and and just really grateful that out of that work, I've been able to write some books and travel around the country and intersect with parents and just talk about this amazing, sometimes overwhelming, transformative journey of, of parenting. Yeah, so grateful did. you all let me talk about it today. Well, you've talked about your book and your counseling, but let me tell you, David, I am obsessed with your podcast. <laughs> Uh, you have a podcast oh with Sissy Goff and Melissa, um, who practice at the Yellow House. And it's just one of the easiest podcasts to listen to. Your accents, that Nashville Southern charm is just so <laughs> fun to listen to. And you can deliver truth, and it's like winsome uh, and convicting. And um, yeah, so the podcast is called Raising Boys and Girls, for those of our listeners who've never heard of it. It's one of the best resources I recommend to families, especially families who are like seeking out counseling and haven't found the right counselor or are like on a long wait list, but they want immediate tools to think about, help them think about anxiety or grief or, you know, all the difficult things they're facing. And so um, I would just love for you to share. I mean, you're, this season has had 38 episodes. Is that right? You would know better than I do. That sounds right. Uh, it's been your longest one yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's been long. I don't even know if you're done, um, if, if it's got more in season four. But you've had tremendous topics and interviews this season. I'd love to hear what your favorite uh, episode has been from season four. Mm, that's a great question. You know, I will say first, that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. We have loved that opportunity to to sit with parents and just talk around their journey, their experience, what they're learning. And it's been so fun to have a lot of folks who are well-known, you know, authors and entertainers and musicians, but not there to just talk about their latest work, but to talk about the journey of parenting. Mm -hmm. So it's so much fun to have. We added in recent years what we call intentional conversation. So we'll kind of talk around some things we're seeing in our offices and our work, and then inviting parents into those conversations to talk about what it looks like 
when they're in the trenches. And so I will say one of my all-time favorite conversations that stands out from this season, I have some dear friends who I just could not love and respect anymore. Their names are Jay and Catherine Wolf, and they are doing this amazing sacred work in this world through an organization they started called Hope Heals. And I could not urge folks listening enough to look online, find them, read everything they've written. I love their voices in this world. Some of my favorite voices talking about what it looks like to live with hope, Mm. this side of heaven. And so we had a rich, deep conversation with them. And I think Sissy and I cried three different times. We (laughs) laughed a lot. It just was this What we hope happens in that time, just really honest, authentic conversation about this thing that we all care so much about. I mean, even folks who aren't parents, we have so many educators and coaches who listen and anybody who cares about kids, grandparents, aunts, uncles, Mm -hmm. and just where we can talk about what does it look like to better serve and support the kids in our lives. I love it. It's so far reaching. It's so accessible. And it's just, it's, it's it's a gift to a lot of us. Okay, give us a little bit of a backstory about where this book came from for you, why you wrote it. I would say this book came from 25 years of doing this work and sitting front row to a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same circumstances that, you know, led me to think more about that great Desmond Tutu quote when he talks about, you know, at some point we don't want to just pull people out of the river. We want to go upstream and figure out why are they falling in? And you know, one of the more common reasons folks seek us out would be that they're navigating the transition of separation and divorce. And so I have sat time and time again with families who are navigating that really difficult transition. And what I have seen a lot of is reflected in the national stats that I talk about in this book that you know, adult men lead the statistics in some of the scariest places, infidelity, internet pornography, substance abuse, suicide. And I've lost count with how many times I've sat with folks who are navigating that transition. And one of those four I just named is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a part of that story, a chapter within that story. And it's heartbreaking to watch families experience that and all that it means, and then to watch the residual, the wreckage that comes from living that reality. And having seen so many adult men struggle in that space, wanting to think about what more could I be doing on the front side to equip boys and adolescent young men to be developing what I call emotional strength on the front side so that they don't have to find themselves potentially in the middle of one of those chapters within their own stories. Because the common denominator with all four of those is a male's attempt to try to numb out or shut down or make stop whatever it is that I'm feeling, as opposed to developing the skills to work that through in a healthy, constructive way. And so this book just uh, felt like uh, my attempt to try to add something to that important conversation. Well, we are so grateful for it. Um, As a mother of all boys, I'm so interested in um, the things that you talk about in your book about helping boys cope, help them self-regulate, all of those things are just uh, super helpful. Um, And I think uh, just to all our moms out there, Cassie, you specifically, a mother of all girls, um, I think it's still really important. And I, I think David would agree to for you guys to be thinking about how this applies because you're raising daughters who will be in this world with my sons. And um, yeah, we want every, we want the body of Christ uh, to reflect him and uh, uh, to shine his light. And so understanding how, 
how men, how young boys are trying to cope um, is really important and what we can do to help, what we can do to serve. So mm-hmm. um, love looking through that. Um, David, this season on our, on our podcast, we're really trying to focus on the countercultural aspect of our faith, of how we're different, how we're set apart, uh, that otherness. And in your book, you describe the way of Jesus as being countercultural. Um, can you tell us about the emotional health we see in Jesus and how we can model that when our culture is going in another direction? Yes. I, I think about all the ways that our culture defines what it means to be a man um, and all the messages that I think spill onto boys and adolescent young men out of that inaccurate defining. And I think, you know, the only way I ever want us to be defining what it means to be a man in this world is looking at the evidence of the greatest man who ever walked this earth and that being the person of Jesus. And, you know, that if I were to think about the first words that come to mind, I think about a man who was deeply compassionate, a man who was tender, a man who was loving, a man who was merciful. And so what does it look like to grow boys into those strengths? And I think about the evidence throughout scripture of where we see Jesus in his humanity feeling all the things that we're going to feel this side of heaven. You know, I think about his encounter with Mary, his good friend, in the wake of the loss of her brother Lazarus, who was his good friend. And we're told when he met her and encountered her, you know, what happened in that encounter was that he wept. We're told in the scripture that he was deeply moved and troubled and his response being empathy in that moment. I think about the encounter he had with the disciples, the men he walked the closest with, you know, in those moments when we're told he felt fear and said, stay awake with me, I'm afraid. And they fell asleep and he felt lonely, felt betrayal. And Thinking about his encounter with the tax collectors in the temple when they were using that space in a way that it was never yeah. intended to be used, and we're told he felt anger. Like there's all this evidence throughout Scripture. Jesus was referred to as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so, if we are going to have a full emotional experience as image bears, what does it look like to grow? kids, not just boys, but kids into an understanding of what it means to name and navigate their experience in a healthy, constructive way. And so that would be my hope. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrim's Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com. See all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com. And remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. 
When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at beautifulscribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. I mean, you know as well as we do that parents will prioritize a lot of things in the life of their kids. Education, athletics, uh, music, just other like ambitions and all sorts of things. And you imagine in your book, what would it be like if we prioritized emotional health the way that we prioritize sports and academics? What would it look like in our families if we were doing that? What do you think would change? Yeah, it, it is my great hope because I think you're exactly right, Cassie. Like, I think we do prioritize raising academically strong, athletically strong kids. And I know a lot of men, adult men who are vocationally strong, who are physically strong, but they're not emotionally strong. And so I think what it would look like on a practical level, and I'm always wanting to think in that direction because, you know, as a parent myself, I've read a lot of books that I loved and agreed with the content and thought, I'm 100% on board, and I have absolutely no idea how to walk that out. And so it's always important to me on the podcast and teaching and writing that it be as practical as possible. So I end every chapter of this book with what I call five intentional practices. So I'm not going to wait until the end of the book. Like every chapter, I'm going to talk about five ways you could walk out the very things I just talked about. And if if there's a parent listening who wanted to start today, I would say when you're sitting around the dinner table tonight and we're just having the kinds of conversations we have as families, we're talking about our day, you know, avoid the tendency that's there to, you know, when asked, how was your day? Fine. <laughs> I laughingly say fine is an acronym and means feelings in need of expression. You know, (laughs) fine is not a feeling. Love that. And so what would it look like for us to be more honest as a way of modeling on behalf of the kids we love to say, you know what? I felt embarrassed today. I had to give a presentation to the board of directors and I didn't feel prepared. I felt sad today. I said something that hurt a coworker's feelings and I didn't mean to, you know, and I want to go back and repair that. Knowing that those kinds of statements, that kind of reporting is landing on the kids Mm, we love. I'll even challenge parents. One practical way is narrate your experience. So as you're driving in the car, you know, if we're late, as we often are as parents, getting (laughs) from point A to point B to say, you know what? I feel stress in my body right now. Wish we'd left five minutes earlier. I'm going to turn on some soft music and see if that kind of washes over me, some worship music. I'm going to, at the next red light, stop and breathe for 30 seconds and see if that starts to settle me. And what happens in those really basic moments is that kids get to sit front row to the grown-ups yeah. they trust the most in this world yeah. doing the work of naming and navigating. And, and it. that it is as simple as that. And, and so that would be my challenge right out of the gate for yeah. parents to think about. I love that. You offer a lot of practical advice just like that in the book. Journaling, naming emotions, coping. It's super helpful. Can you um, help us understand the three R's that you talk about? Recognize, regulate, and repair. Love to. And I think those are foundational ingredients in what I mean when I talk about emotional strength. And 
Recognize is just paying attention to the signs and signals my body is going to give me when I'm having an emotional response. And that's different for every person. You know, some people get really tight uh, in their shoulders and neck. Some people, their heart rate increases. Your face or neck might get red. Whatever it may be, your body's going to send some signs and signals. I talk about it kind of like the dashboard in a car. You know, that our car's going to cue us with a tire light when the tire's low or check engine light when I need to change the oil. And if I pay attention to those things, attend to them, the car's going to keep running. If I ignore them, you know, eventually I'm going to get a flat tire. Eventually I'm going to burn up the engine, whatever it may be. So recognize is kind of like the dashboard in the car. Regulate is employing coping skills, healthy coping skills. And I walk families through in the book and the workbook, uh, creating what I call a top five list, which I wish every human in the world from kids to grownups had on the ready in my phone, kind of the five things that I know help me get from stress to settled or from chaos to calm. That's the regulate. And then repair is taking ownership and doing any needed relational work. If I fumble the ball, which we are all going to do as parents, as people in this world. And I talk a lot about how boys, unless we teach that third R, which is really landing in the healthy middle space of ownership, boys will just spend their lives swinging between blame and shame. And blame is just discharge pain. I'm pointing the finger at somebody else, not back at myself and taking ownership. And shame is just self-contempt. And neither of those are healthy. And that swing back and forth is really unhealthy. But I know a lot of adults who are still stuck in that swing because they never learned that third R. They never learned how to move toward a healthy sense of ownership, which changes the game in all healthy interpersonal relationships. Yeah, I definitely feel that shift still in myself. I mean, I felt conviction reading that blame and shame cycle. I certainly see it in my children, but I also see it in myself. Even as we were jumping on to this uh, podcast and my mic wasn't working and I'm feeling stressed and I'm you know, tempted to say, well, I'm just not good at this. And uh, I'm ashamed because here's David Thomas, who I want to do a good job of interviewing on this podcast. And I'm like, oh, I feel that shame. And then I want to blame, you know, this technology. I've got to find something that's not my fault. And yes. I definitely, I see that in myself. And, um, you know, I was narrating it, just my mic was off. You couldn't hear it, but I'm narrating, you know, I'm just narr- I'm just kidding. I wasn't, I wasn't doing all the healthy things you're talking about. But in the book you do, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, David, because you talk about in that regulate, one of the things I love, you talk about having a physical space for a boy to kind of work out kind of his aggression, his feeling, something to, to punch or to yell into or to, to run. But you also talk about, uh, I love the, the combat breathing picture of how do we calm ourselves through breathing. For a family who's reading this and they're going, I've got this kid. And maybe it's even scary how they're dealing with their emotions. And maybe it's even scary to like, maybe feel scary to indulge in saying, go, go hit something. Or how, how do you help a family decide when or whether it's their child is fits one or the other, but when is it good to say, go run and exert and, and hit and scream? And when is it more like, I need you to work on breathing and, and that kind of calming exercise? Because I could see a family reading that and going, I see the exact same situation. How do I know whether to tell them, go yell or sit here and breathe? How do you help a family decide yeah. that? No, it's a great question. And and I love that you ask it because, you know, I've had so many parents over the years who've challenged me on that. And I love that. I'm so happy to always have that conversation of, you know, I don't know that I love the idea of moving him toward more hitting or more physicality. And what I always say to parents, what I've long believed, what the research supports is that boys often have more physicality to their emotion. It's why the research would tell us toddler age boys in a classroom 
are much more prone to biting, hitting, kicking, screaming, throwing. It's why teenage boys are more prone to punching holes in drywall. It's that need for a release. So the need for release isn't scary. What gets scary is if he doesn't have a healthy path, a space, a top five list to do that in constructive ways. He's going to either turn that on himself or he's going to turn that outward on someone else in a way that isn't healthy. So all we're doing is helping him channel the physicality in a really healthy, constructive direction. And I would say secondly to your great question that either of those directions 100% of the time are a win. So if you feel confused, if you're moving kids toward breathing or movement, research would tell us those are the top two most effective, efficient ways for any one of us to create a reset in the brain and body. The worst thing we could do is just sit still and circle and loop with our thoughts. Mm. That's when we become more amped up, where we're more likely to, again, move toward blame or shame. I'm going to turn it toward myself, a lot of self-contempt, or I'm going to discharge that pain. It's part of that classic age-old saying that we all know hurt people hurt people. You know, it's like if I'm hurting on the inside, if I'm experiencing a lot of discomfort and I don't know how to channel that in a healthy direction, I'm much more likely to hurt someone. It's honestly the wisdom of Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not Mm -hmm. sin. Yeah. Like there again, we're being told we're going to feel anger. That's not a bad emotion. Feelings are just feelings. But when I feel it, don't hurt others. Don't hurt myself. Like move the anger towards something constructive, which is what I'm coaching parents to help boys do. I love everything you just said. That's so helpful. And I do feel like you're challenging me in some good directions where I feel uh, similar to some of the parents who have asked you questions. I feel tempted to be like, well, I can't encourage the motion because even if, what if I'm not there and this is happening in a classroom and that teacher doesn't have the same philosophy, if their coping method is running and hitting and screaming or, uh, you know, screaming into a pillow, you know, you know what I mean? The coping that you've come up with, like, how will they be able to do that when I'm not there? But what you're talking about is that self-regulation is them being around. And I I know, because I talked to a lot of parents about this, that when they see their boys run towards a violent outburst or seeming uncontrollable emotions, it can be scary for a parent, one, because it maybe reflects on them as a parent, they feel bad about that, or they're afraid maybe of what this means for their kid. Or I, I often hear too, kind of the the fatalistic worst case scenario. What if this kid grows up to be all the statistics you just talked about, about where we see men run yeah. to substances, run to abuses. It's It can be really intimidating, really scary for a kid. It's why, or for an adult, for a parent. It's why one of my favorite lines in your book, it, I triple starred it, which I rarely triple star a line. I triple starred <laughs> this line. You say this. You say, in life, we've been promised struggle, but we've also been guaranteed hope. Could you please, please, please just talk to us about that? What is the hope in the midst of how hard this can get? Yeah. You know, two thoughts come to mind, and and they are both anchored to Romans. You know, I think about the promise we've been made in Romans, that we are going to groan with all of creation this side of heaven. And that groaning is going to look different for every one of us in our stories. But there's the evidence of struggle. But I love the promise, the path even, in Romans 5 when it talks about, you know, suffering gives way to perseverance, perseverance to character, and character to hope. And, you know, every parent I know who loves their kids doesn't want to see them struggle. I don't want to see my kids struggle, but I know that scripture is true and that my kids can't get to the good stuff of hope. They can't build character unless they first stopped off at the suffering, the struggle that builds perseverance, that gives way to character, that 
then anchors them to hope. And so I would simply want to remind every parent that's the path that has been true in all of our lives. It's a path that will be true in all of our kids' lives. And to the degree that I'm working to eliminate the struggle, I'm actually eliminating all the good stuff. Less struggle is simply going to mean less perseverance, less character, and much less hope. Mm. I think every one of us as adults knows that, you know, I need Jesus to the degree that I understand my sin. Oh, that's good. Like if I don't connect myself strongly to that, that I have a lot of need, I don't have a need for a big Savior. And so I just want to remind parents of that truth that, again, we all know to be true for our lives, but it's true for our kids' lives as well. Yeah. Man. That's good. That's a word right there. Um, Adam, you could preach preach that on Sunday if you want. Uh, I just stole, I wrote it down in my sermon <laughs> illustration for Sunday. That's good. And I'm not you even going to give brother. any credit to David. I'm just going to reword it a little bit. You don't <laughs> need to. You can have it all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else I'd love to say too, though, as we talk around that? I think you are 100% correct in even the way you phrase that question. I do think most parents are scared yeah. by those big emotions. And I would want to challenge parents don't be scared by the big emotions. Don't be scared by the big responses. The thing we want to fear and uh, what the book's all about is just helping kids channel that into something constructive when they're not developing those skills. But when we see evidence of that, I wish we could meet kids in a place just saying, okay, until you're having some big feelings, I tell you feel strongly about that. Right. Let's work it through. I love that language of work it through. Otherwise, I think we are in a lot of our messaging like, you need to calm down. You need to stop being so angry. On right. some level, we're saying stop having feelings. Mm. And I think even to calm down, my challenge to parents listening there would be, it's not that that's a bad phrase at all, but do your kids know how to do that? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think we say it a lot, but on some level, if I don't, if I haven't practiced, if I haven't learned those skills and practiced those, that's the equivalent of someone yelling at me, play the cello. <laughs> Play the cello. You know, it's like, okay, well, I know what the cello looks like. I've yeah. seen a person hold it. I have no clue what to do with it. Yeah. And so we have to teach these skills no different than we teach kids to ride a bike or to swim in the deep end of a pool. These are learned skills that have to become practice skills. I know Chelsea's got a question for you next, but I wanted to say real quick, because I think what you're talking about, a couple of years ago, I realized that when my kids were coming to me upset, I was sending them away until they were calm. Mm. And while there is, I think, times for that, there's ways to do that, help them self-regulate, I was also teaching them that it was not safe for them to have certain emotions around me. And until that emotion was gone, we could not talk. And so I try now to balance a little bit more of what you're talking about, saying like, I do want you to regulate, but I also want you to know that your big feelings, like we can talk through them even in the middle of them. Yes. If you need to be upset, yes. you can tell dad you're upset. You can tell dad he's angry. He's not going to be so impatient that he's going, yeah. you come back to me when you're ready to be quiet, you know? Mm. Right. Yeah, right. that's so good. Okay, speaking of some of these practical coping mechanisms and intentional practices, in your book, you talk about being on a mission to bring back journaling. Um, Adam and I both find journaling to be a little bit difficult for our own individual reasons, but help us understand why it's critical and uh, what it, an important part it could be for dealing with our emotions. Yeah, I would say I think it's difficult for a lot of people. And I don't want anyone listening to wait until it feels easy or even instinctive, but I would love for us to treat it just like we just talked about, like a, a learned skill and a practice skill, because I'll say this, I have a lot of thoughts on technology, 
one of my biggest concerns with technology, and and hear me say on the front side, I'm thankful for technology. Like it is the reason that we get to be in completely different states and having the conversation we're having. So I'm not endorsing throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but to say I'm concerned about how I think technology has trained all of us against regulation and not toward it. Mm -hmm. We are invited in real time to tweet, post, put out every thought I'm having in real time, which is really the worst thing we could be training ourselves to do, any of us, not just kids and adolescents, any of us. And, you know, right now we all foreknow there at this very minute are people who are arguing in the comment section of Instagram in all caps right now at this moment. It's happening (laughs) every minute of every day. And that's dysregulation. And part of why I believe in journaling, I tell this great story about a dad who had this conversation with his son who got in this really (laughs) unhealthy text exchange. And, you know, what the dad wisely, wonderfully said is, I understand the need to want to say those things. It's important that you do. I don't want you to hold those in, but I don't want you to be texting those or tweeting those or posting those. Like you need to work those thoughts through the way that I'm going to age myself in this, you know, but growing up, I didn't have access to any of that. So I'd have sure been tempted. It's not that I'm better than anybody in this day and age. I would have been tempted, but I didn't have those opportunities. So I had to write those things down in an old form spiral notebook, which was a way to me to work through those thoughts and feelings, and no one got to see them ever. And then I probably didn't feel the same way by Monday morning with what I had written on Friday night. And so... But if it's posted and it's out there in real time, you know, we're in essence saying react to whatever it is you're thinking and feeling in the moment, which is really the worst thing any of us could do, as opposed to that message of let's work it through in healthy ways. And I think journaling is one of those places. So I am all for let's get those thoughts and feelings out. I just want us to do it in a place where we can think through, feel through all of what we're experiencing, and I put it out there for the whole world to see. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, for for someone who doesn't journal, uh, not that that's me, I I journal a little. Uh, I want to impress you. If someone doesn't journal and they say, I want to start, how would you advise them to start? Like, if they say, what does that even mean? What would you tell them to do? Yeah. You know, I would first say, be creative in how you do that. You know, we tend to just think about an old form notebook that we're going to be writing in. And certainly I work with a lot of individuals who just don't love writing. And so I've had kids who journal through drawing. I've had adolescents who journal through pictures. They take photographs of things and then write a little bit about that experience. I've had, I have a kid right now, a 15-year-old kid who we've talked about that temptation for him to post or text in the moment. And I'm like, what if you just turn on voice memo and you talk out loud, whatever it is you're thinking, and then you give yourself about two to three hours and listen back. Is that the same thing you still want to say when you've been able to, again, do some breathing and movement and regulate yourself? But you listen, you edit yourself before you're going to put that content out there in some way. So I think there are a lot of different ways that we could approach the concept of journaling beyond just the old school writing but all of it being an opportunity where I can work through those things in some constructive ways before I would react or respond. Mm, that's really helpful. I've so never good. thought about the voice memo thing. I, yeah. I really do hate writing, um, but that might be helpful. What I do? <laughs> yeah, test drive that, and you report okay. back to me. I like it. Okay. Well, we definitely um, we love the way that we see you leaning on the Word of God and what you're teaching us right now, and and how you're talking through it in the book. Uh, what are some of the scriptures that you lean on the most when you're helping families think about raising kids that are emotionally strong? Mm, 
I definitely love that passage in Ephesians I mentioned of just in your anger, do not sin, because I think that embodies so much of the three R's that we talked about a little bit earlier. I love the narratives that we talked a little around on the front side of just going back to the person of Jesus and that important reminder of all of what he felt in his humanity as well. And then as we are developing and practicing these skills and in the process, as is the case with developing and practicing any skills, fumbling the ball, you know, moving three steps forward, then four steps back at times, I want to anchor myself time and time again to the wisdom of Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. I love this passage so much that says, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. Amen. And there's our roadmap for how we want to walk these things out with our kids as they are developing and practicing these skills that they're going to mess up. And I am so thankful that when I've messed up, God didn't wait until I got it right to extend mercy, but he was all about the mercy. And so I, I would challenge parents to go back to that again and again as that important reminder of our roadmap for life and for parenting. At the conclusion of the book, David, you talk about, you encourage the leaders, to, or the parents, to stop asking kids just a question of, oh, what do you want to do? Kind of like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you start encouraging us to start asking, who do you want to be? Uh, that's such yes. a beautiful sentiment. Can you help us, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, what is, how does that sum up what you're talking about? If, if instead of what we've done, what the culture would say, it's all about this pressure of deciding what you're going to do, how do we help shift that? What does that mean that we help shift the conversation to what do you, or who do you want to be? Yeah. Thank you for creating space to unpack that because I, I talked throughout the book about in my experience, and, and I'd be curious if this has been you all's experience as well, that I think in this world, males do so much anchoring their sense of identity to vocation. You know, it's how we do lead every conversation. Like, what do you do? Before I would even ask questions about, what do you love? What are you interested in? Tell me about your family, oftentimes. And I think that goes all the way down to boys and adolescent males. Like, we'll ask them questions. And it fascinates me how early boys will begin to tie their identity to an extracurricular activity, in particular athletics, and base their identity around their performance. I, I had a conversation with a boy yesterday who, you know, had a really rough baseball game, and his immediate ongoing thought was, I suck. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the sense of my identity is so connected to my performance on the field in those ways. So because I think that's a knee-jerk reaction, that's going on, I want to move us away from that question as much as possible and asking boys who they want to be in this world, which I think ties us back to studying the man of Christ as we think about our definition of masculinity, who I want to be in this world as a man. It's going to look way different than how this world is defining what it means to be a man. And again, anchoring so much of what it means to be a man to vocational success. Amen. Before we let you go, David, would you mind sharing with us, what are the prayers that you have for your family right now? What are the prayers? What would you love to see the Lord do? What would you see the, what would you love to see the Lord change for you? If our listeners can pray for David Thomas and family and Daystar, Mm. what can they ask God for on your behalf? Mm. I would say, what a great question. I would say, first off, I've always prayed, always will be praying that as I think most parents are praying that God would use the mistakes I've made, my failures, where I fumbled the ball in my own journey for opportunity 
for grace, for mercy, for growth, all those things. I pray, too, that I would, like I've challenged every parent listening today, move out of the way of that instinct that's in us to want to eliminate struggle or diminish struggle for our kids. And what would it look like for me to anchor myself strongly to that path of suffering and perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And I want my kids to be kids of hope in this world, which means I've got to move out of the way. And so those would be two things I want to be praying over my own life, my own journey of parenting, and over the lives of the kids and families I have the opportunity to intersect with. I like that. Kids of hope. That is, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah, we will pray for that. Thank you. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you, listeners. We're looking forward to all that God has for us this fall. We will see you next week.